everybody welcome back this is kira davis filling in for tony katz here on tony katz today i'm editor at large for redstate.com and the host of just listen to yourself with kira davis which is available wherever you find your podcast and before the break we were talking about uh, running for for a school board and a young man named nicholas seppi out of egg harbor township that's where he was i found out where he was from uh egg harbor township in new jersey he had his 2020 year stolen from him because of COVID madness and he said to himself this ticks me off i'm running for the school board and he beat the incumbent by 18 percentage points he won with 4042 votes and the other uh, and his opponent had 2830 votes so as small as these little races are they are actually very huge in the scheme of things so don't count yourself out if you're thinking that i'm too small and insignificant to do anything no you are the person we need right now Hey, we're gonna go to another break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, I'm gonna talk about Dave Portnoy from Barso Sports and what's going on with sexual harassment claims with him and black white supremacists, huh? Definitely gonna have to break that down. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I am your host, Kira Davis, editor at large for ready.com and host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, which is available wherever you find your podcasts. And also, I know a lot of people find this hard to believe, but I actually have a Hallmark podcast. I do a seasonal Hallmark podcast with one of my best friends. And one of my favorite people in the world, Amelia Hamilton, we are both super Hallmark fans, Uh, much to Tony's consternation. He really, this is one of the things that he cannot tolerate about me. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. I want to actually force him to watch a Hallmark movie, a Christmas movie. It's got to be a Christmas movie. And I want to get his honest, like raw reaction to it because I think that would be really fun. We love, uh, we love Hallmark movies because they don't cost you anything. And by that, I don't mean financially. I just mean they don't cost you any brain power. They don't cost you, you know, a lot of times when people like you and I watch TV or listen to the radio, we're forced to absorb and digest messages and values that don't line up with ours. And a lot of time we're having to overlook all of the insulting things that people are saying about people like us just to enjoy the piece. Some of us can do that. Some of us can't, you know, I pick and choose. Sometimes I'm like, okay, um, I'll just deal with this. And sometimes I'm like, there's no way I'm watching this, but you're never going to get that in a Hallmark movie. It is a movie that is all it's, it's, it's cotton candy. It's sugar. You know, it comes and then it goes, it rests on your tongue for a moment. And then that's it. It costs you nothing. You're never going to get a nasty surprise. You're never going to be insulted. People still go to church in the Hallmark universe. 
And you know the the most sexuality you're gonna get in Hallmark is a kiss, and it's got to be one kiss at the end of the movie. Sometimes people will kiss in the middle, and that's like, ooh, scandalous. So uh, anyway, Amelia and I break down all of this fun stuff, all of the fun tropes of Hallmark movies, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We love it all. It all goes together, hand in hand. And our podcast is a very merry podcast. So you can find that wherever you find your podcast as well. A very merry podcast. And before the break, uh, this is not such a very merry subject and it would not go in the Hallmark universe. But before the break, I was bringing up Dave Portnoy. He's the CEO of Barstool Sports. And you'll know Dave because he's one of the guys who's been out there particularly coming to, uh, particularly surrounding the issue of trading. Remember the whole AMC issue and and uh, buying up AMC stocks, which I'm still holding on to. Dave, tell me what I do with these things. I don't know. I bought them really low. They went high. I didn't sell when they were high because people kept saying they could go higher. And they've dropped a little, but they're still worth way more than I bought them for. But Dave, uh, call me. I don't know what to do with with these things but he was really one of the driving forces of that movement of the day trader movement of the little guy movement and barstool sports is is called barstool sports but it's really become a media empire and it's fed into this desire for kind of macho male-led aggressive uh politics trading sports cultural commentary and portnoy has become a huge success because of it so you had to know what was coming. Insider, a publication called Insider, actually released a piece on Dave this week accusing him of being a sexual deviant or harasser. They stopped short of calling him a rapist. But this is why I said this might get a little controversial. But I have I have some thoughts about But I want to read from an article from my colleague at redstate.com, Brandon Morse. That's M-O-R-S-E. And I think he's the Brandon Morris on Twitter if you want to go follow him. But he wrote about this and he says that the author of this piece, Julia Black, promoted the article by saying it's the hardest she's ever worked on one before, taking a total of eight months to complete. The article is definitely a large one with multiple people interviewed and many stories about Portnoy buried within. However, like many Me Too accusations, there's very little proof to the claims being thrown around about Portnoy, and much of the article is made up of already public stories of the Barstool founder's exploits to try to lend believability to said claims. For instance, one girl said she had been flirting with Portnoy after she had complimented his famous pizza reviews on Instagram. Soon the conversations between the two moved to text where Portnoy allegedly sent her graphic pics and videos of former women he'd slept with. Why do guys do this? By the way, I, I do believe this is true. I don't think Portnoy is like a saint. He's probably a jerk. Why do dudes do this? Um, I think guys think that women are as impressed with their sexual exploits with other women as men are, and we're not. Um, I just remember a guy I was dating in college who used to do that. He used to kind of tell me about the experiences he'd had before we were dating, not in like a way to shame me. He really thought I was going to be impressed by them. It's so weird. You guys, we're not like you. You guys keep that stuff between you guys. Some girls may pretend that they care about that because if they they just want to hook you in, but we we honestly do not. No, don't do it. 
So the two began discussing sex between themselves, obviously, <laughs> great. She had informed Portnoy that she had a rape fantasy to which Portnoy allegedly responded that they were, quote, going to get along so well, end quote. And from there, she agreed to fly out to his multi-billion dollar home in Nantucket. The claim is that the two had intercourse that night and Portnoy both abused and humiliated her. Um, he said, and then she kind of went into, I'm not even going to read what, how she explained the encounter, but it was mutual. It was consensual. It was, uh, she did not call the police. She did not uh, complain when she stayed at his house afterwards. Uh, she stayed for another two days. She said she slept on his couch after that first experience, but she did stay at his house for another two days. So she obviously didn't feel totally threatened. Maybe she didn't enjoy it, but she didn't feel threatened. But she says she did text a friend later on to say that it, it was very rough and she didn't really like it, but she was scared to disappoint him, which actually is not that uncommon for young women uh, when they have these encounters like this, which is here's where we get controversial guys and gals. I think this is why uh, intimate relations really do need to be uh, confined to as much as possible committed relationships because there are very uh, there are a lot of young women out there who will take advantage who will be taken advantage of because they are afraid to disappoint their partner because they worry that the sex is is contingent right the, that a relationship is contingent. And so they need to perform in order to get the relationship that they want, which of course men don't think that way and work that way, but young women are young women and young men are young men, young and dumb. So another girl, Brandon goes on to say, another girl tells of a story where she too agreed to go to Portnoy's home where they had rough sex. She didn't like it, but she was, she was scared. Again, she says again, she was scared to disappoint him and uh she said she she said that her friend picked her up but the girl didn't describe what happened to her as an assault but she said she did feel preyed upon and she also apparently suffers from depression and was later in the hospital after her encounter with portnoy for becoming suicidals so um we had two girls who agreed to meet up with portnoy for a sexual encounter one of whom t told him she liked rape fantasies but outside of all this we have store all we have are stories about portnoy being portnoy a man who isn't politically correct likes sports and and loves sex and i would say and that's a very brandon way to put it because brandon's a dude i would imagine that portnoy loves kind of the power that comes with which is probably why he seems too aggressive look i'm not excusing dave portnoy this i told you it was going to get controversial I'm not excusing Dave Portnoy. I bet he's a jerk. That's putting it lightly because we're on radio. I bet he's a jerk. I live in Southern California. There are a lot, and I mean a lot of young, wealthy, rich, handsome white men in the area that I live in, like many. And I have yet to meet one who is not a complete and utter a-hole. They all, if you get this money too young, <laughs> I remember watching an a interview with uh, with Denzel Washington 
on a, a late night show once and they were like, well, what's your advice to a young guy coming up in the industry? And he said, get married and have kids before you decide to do this job. Because you're going to get, if, if you become rich and you become wealthy and you don't have stability and you don't have people to keep you grounded, then you're just going to be a rich, wealthy idiot. But if you have a family, they're always going to keep you humble. They're always going to keep you grounded. I have always remembered that. So I, I think it's the wrong order to get all of this success and wealth as a young man. Maybe women can, but for a, a man, it's the wrong order. And uh, it, it warps you. So I have no doubt that Portnoy is a jerk. Look, we went through this with Aziz Ansari. Do you remember him? He's a comedian and most famous for Parks and Rec. He played Tom on Parks and Rec. And he's a great stand-up comedian, Indian guy from uh, Indian heritage from South Carolina. His stand-up is fantastic. And he was, he got caught up in the Me Too movement because a woman wrote an article, same kind of article as the Portnoy article. Same thing. He, he met a girl on online, <laughs> took her out for a date. They hooked up at his apartment. She didn't like the encounter and some of the things that he asked her to do. But then they hooked up again a second time in that one night. And then he put her in a cab and sent her home. And then when she went home, she was like, I feel used. And then that turned into a Me Too story. Here is my point. There is rape and there is sexual assault. Those things exist and men should be punished accordingly. But there are also sexual encounters, consensual encounters that happen that women go into thinking they're going to have some kind of experience or they're going to convince this man to treat her in the way she wants to be treated. But all they've done is walked into uh, a jerk trap. <laughs> You know, there are honey traps. Well, there are jerk traps, jerks who will tell you whatever you want, buy you a fancy dinner and give you a few glasses of wine to get what they want out of you. But you still have the power to say yes or no. And through the whole encounter, you can say yes and no. And after the encounter, you can say yes or no. What you don't do is stay on an assaulter's couch for two nights. You know what? <laughs> no, that's not how that works. So, of course, your story seems thin. Also, this Portnoy story was behind a paywall. So already we're, we're like, okay, well, it's not that important, is it? If you, I, I understand paywalls and I'm for them. We have paywalls at Red State. If you want to go join our VIP program, by the way, you can get exclusive Tony Katz content over there. That's right. He gives us an exclusive video every week and you can use, uh, I'm not going to give you his code. I'll give you my code because I got the mic today. You can use my code Kira, K-I-R-A for a 20 5% discount. If you love Tony and you can't get enough, go over there and get more Tony. And you can also get access to my exclusive VIP podcast, which, which is only for our subscribers. So, um, and it's also scientifically proven that our VIP subscribers are 134% more attractive than everyone else in America. Don't ask me where I found that information. Just, you just have to trust me. It's on the internet. Anyways, my point is I don't have a problem with the paywall. But if this is the most important story in the world and you're fighting for justice, you don't put that behind a paywall, honey. And ladies, let me tell you something. Trust your instincts and trust your red flags. Would Kira Davis, formerly Kira Jones, uh, before marriage, would I have gone to this man's home and stayed in this man's home? No. He would have been throwing up red flags for me from the get. 
because I can, you know, the way if a man is talking to you that that sexually aggressively, he's not going to take you to his big fancy Nantucket mess, a mansion and just be nice to you, rub your feet and take you shopping, make you Julia Roberts and pretty woman and make you his wife. That's not how that works. That's not what he wants. If you're down for it, go for it. But if you're not down for it, then don't, then don't. This is consensual. And this, I think that this is, this is the establishment deciding that they don't like Dave because he's, he represents that kind of macho, uh, brash outside the box thinker that is not welcome in the public square these days. And he leans a little bit to the right, which is his other sin. But I certainly am not, uh, I'm not pro Portnoy. He definitely looks like a jerk. <laughs> he definitely seems like someone who would take advantage of you. He seems like a guy with too much money, right? And, and too handsome, but that's what happens. So ladies, if you're going to go home with that guy, then just know what you're consenting to. And yeah, if it, if, if it turns violent, absolutely. You should call the police right away. You should at least leave the house. Do you know what I'm saying? But I think women need to be able to take a little bit more responsibility for the, the, uh, roles that we play in our own uncomfortable encounters with jerky men. All right, let's take a break. Let's take a break right now. Um, yeah, let's do that. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, editor-at-large for redstate.com and host of the Just Listen to Yourself podcast. And before the break, we were taking on the very controversial subject of uh, consensual uh, romance and uh, Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports, who I wouldn't qualify as a romantic by any stretch of the imagination. He sounds like kind of a jerk to me, but uh, he's in a little bit of hot water because of this story that they wrote about him, about some women who said they had some very unpleasant sexual experiences with him. It's important to note that none of them have classified that as rape. And none of them have, have said that they were assaulted, but they all said that they didn't enjoy his experience. They thought he was, the, the experience with him and he was too aggressive. And what I was saying was that at some point, we women have to be able to take responsibility for the decisions we're making. Now, this does not conflate with the rape issue of course you know that is that's a whole different thing but I was giving the example of Aziz Ansari whose career was ruined by this woman who had consensual sex with him not once but twice just didn't like it she just didn't like it she felt used and yeah he used her because guess what he was young and rich and and this was the first time in his life probably because he's a nerd where chicks are all over him he didn't know what to do okay girls are throwing it at him and he's just taking advantage of it it's not right of course he sounds like a real jerk <laughs> you know but that's his crime is being a jerk and i guess she wanted romance and flowers well honey guess what when you put out on that first date you might get romance and flowers that's not it's not how it goes the movies are lying to you 
So I'm sure a lot of these women thought that they were just going to, you know, convince Dave that they were just the best thing on earth if they just do what he wanted. And he turned out to be a jerk like everybody else. But being a jerk is not a crime. At some point, ladies, you have to take responsibility for your well-being and the red flags that you're seeing and decide you're going to walk away from a situation instead of trying to wield it to what you want it to be. Don't go anywhere. We're going into another break, but I'll be back. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz Today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I am your guest host, Kira Davis, filling in for Tony Katz, coming to you from the Golden State, California. And uh, I don't know. We don't feel so golden these days. I'd like to apologize to anyone earlier who thought I may have sounded a little tinny or a little strange. We were having some sound issues, but we've worked it out because Tony only has the most professional of people working for him. So uh, we did not stop trying to fix the problem. Should be sounding good now. But at the same time, does it matter what the sound is when the words coming out of my mouth are so impressive? Yeah, I didn't think so either. I, I hope you, you've been enjoying the show as much as I have. Like I said, I'm Kira Davis, editor-at-large for Red State. I'm also just listening to yourself podcast. And on Just Listen to Yourself, one of the things I like to do is I like to take talking points of hot topic issues, hot button issues, and break them down, kind of distill them. Because I think there are a lot of people who have platitudes, who say things that they think sound good and sound fair and nice and all social justice-y. But when you dig into them, sometimes you realize you're not saying what you think you are. So I'll take a topic like school choice or abortion, and and I'll take some of the left-wing progressive favorite talking points. I'll do right-wing as well. And I'll say, hey, if you are saying on the surface that um, uh, abortion is, is a gift to the black community, and abortion is, is a woman's right to choose, and that black women especially really need access to it. And if you're denying them access to it, well, that's discrimination, that's racism. If, if that's your talking point, I want you to dig into that. Because what happens in an abortion? Well, you, you eliminate a, a, for a life, basically. I believe you do. But even if you don't believe life starts at conception, you're certainly eliminating the existence of a human being. Because eventually, if you leave that fetus alone, it's going to be a human being that is born and lives outside of the womb. So we all can agree that the, this does end the future of somebody. It does end a future. So if, you're, if you believe that abortion access is good for the black community, good for black women, then what you're telling me is you believe that it's good to have fewer black people in this country. And that's what you're advocating for. See, I, I think a lot of people who give that talking point w wouldn't necessarily say that. I don't think they believe that, it's, that, that there should be fewer black people in the country, although the founder of Planned Parenthood believed that. A lot of those folks don't even know that she did. It's, a, it's a, an unspoken legacy. It's a subconscious legacy. And, uh, but that's a talking point that people don't dig into. We don't dig into this stuff because we say things and we think that, that 
that's enough. And frankly, it's been enough for far too long because we've been, we've been acquiescing arguments and, and thoughtful discussion and intelligence to social media insanity. And then we look at these uh, pundits who go on TV and they say the most ridiculous things and they're not saying anything really. They're just releasing sound bites. It's just sound bites. It's gobbledygook. It's, it, it's just something to say. And boy, did Democrats have a lot to say this week after the Tuesday elections. And I'm sure Tony has been talking about this all week on his show. But they lost their minds on Tuesday night when the people went to the ballot box. And instead of, instead of people going, people on, now people, I'm saying people on the left, instead of people on the left going, oh, geez, well, let's reexamine what happened here. Let's dig into the numbers. Let's go interview people and, and, and see what they were thinking. We get people like Joy Reid and Michael, Eric Michael Dyson, Michael Eric Dyson, the, the race grievance vacuum guy. <laughs> I can't stand him. He was on Joy Reid's program the other day. I mean, why? Listen, I don't want Joy Reid to go away. I want more Joy Reid, to be honest. I wish MSNBC would give Joy Reid 10 shows. They might as well let her cover the spread over there. It wouldn't make a difference in their ratings. They're already in the basement. I would love to give her more opportunities to talk. To my mind, Joy Reid is the left-wing Alex Jones. She deals in conspiracy and rage theories. And she deals in fringe theory. And that's what Alex Jones does. And Alex does well with that, by the way. No disrespect to Alex Jones. He's actually a great broadcaster. I know. I mean, I know a lot of you in this audience probably even do listen to him. Listen, my own father listens to Alex Jones. I could endear myself to, to my estranged father if I would just go on the Alex Jones show. <laughs> we would really mend a lot of fences, but... I have turned down every invitation for a lot of reasons, which should be obvious. But I believe that Joy Reid is the left-wing version of Alex Jones, except on the left, you get to be mainstream with that. And on the right, you get pushed out to the fringes where you belong, like with your audience, though. Like, y'all do that. Have fun. Joy's a loon. And uh, there used to be a time when she wasn't this crazy. But when you get on TV, it's like you have to be making talking points for that soundbite culture and you do stuff that sounds good. So y'all know what happened in Virginia this week. I'm sure Tony's talked about it. Virginia not only upset the, uh, the gubernatorial race, but they also elected their first black lieutenant governor in Winsome Sears. And... I have to admit that I was not paying it. Most people don't pay attention to lieutenant governor races. I wasn't even paying attention. The Yunkin, McAuliffe battle was all that. That's all everything was. So on the day of the election, more of these stories started coming out. And I saw, oh, Winsome Sears, who is this? I started looking up uh, about her, a, a Jamaican immigrant, a former Marine, a 2A advocate. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I like this woman. And then she won. And then her acceptance speech was absolutely amazing. And she came out and she talked about how she is the American dream. And that's how I feel about my family. That's how, as a black family, that's how I feel about us. We're the American dream. My husband and I both came from lower class families. 
I came from a broken family. My husband came from like, we always joke that his family's the black leave it to beavers, the black, cle black cleavers. But um, we always, we both came from this idea of if you work hard enough, you can have what you want. And that's what his parents did. And then they propelled their children to even higher heights. We are, and now we live, you know, we started our lives in the middle of the hood in Gary, Indiana. And now we live in plush, posh, Orange County, California. We live in a very nice insulated suburb. Yes, I do live in a bubble and no, I'm not apologizing for it because I put in my work. That is the American dream. And anytime someone's tried to push back on me and a lot of people on the left, because they don't like that I'm black and conservative, a lot of people on the left will push me. And they will kind of accuse me of selling out because I'm in the suburbs, even though all of them are too, but whatever. Uh, I make no apologies because this is my American dream. This is our American dream and we've achieved it by making, by letting America be the opportunity, right? There's a lot of people who talk about the, the opportunities that America owes people like me, but we don't think like that. We don't think we're owed opportunity. We think that the opportunity is this country. That is what America is. That's the opportunity. So you do with that what you choose. And Winsome Sears took that opportunity and boy, oh boy, did she ever run with it. What a lady. I can't wait. And, and I, I suspect she'll be your next governor, Virginia, because Virginia only has uh, four-year terms for their governors, interestingly enough. So that's why McAuliffe was running again. He'd served up until 2018 and he was running again. Um, uh, 2017, I guess. And so he was hoping to get that second term. You can serve two terms, but not consecutively. Isn't that interesting? That means that probably, that means Youngkin won't be able to run again, but probably what he can do is support his lieutenant governor to run. So if he does a good enough job and we get to hear from Winston Sears over the next four years, she very well may be the first black governor of Virginia. And wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be an accomplishment? Wouldn't that be a victory for black Americans everywhere? Well, not according to Joy Reid. No, not according to Joy Reid and Michael Eric Dyson. According to them, Winsome Sears is nothing more than a white supremacist in blackface. Ari, would you play that clip? Problem is here, they want they want white supremacy by ventriloquist effect. There is a black mouth moving, but a white idea through the running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates uh, the white supremacist practices. We know that we can internalize in our own minds, in our own subconscious, in our own bodies, the very principles that are undoing us. So to have a black face uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. And it is to the chagrin of those of us who study race that the white folk on the other side and the right wingers on the other side don't understand this is politics one-on-one -on -one and this is race not even one-on-one -on -one. what's beneath one-on-one -on -one? it's the it's the pre-k of race you should understand the fact that if you tell black people look i support a negro look there is a person of color that i am in favor of and that person of color happens to undermine and undercut and subvert the very principles about which we are concerned you do your yourself no service by pointing to them as an example of your racial progressivism. Uh, I'm going to try to help you out because I know uh, about 
75% of what he said was gobbledygook. If you couldn't follow along or you felt like you were listening to a spoken word uh, performance, first of all, that's what he does. That that it, that literally is what he does. He he fancies himself an academic rapper of sorts. And in fact, he's a, he's a rap historian, uh, which is his, his work on that end is good. He's a hip hop historian, I should say. And uh, there's a lot of history to be told there. And so I don't want to denigrate that work. Actually, he does great work when it comes to recording the history of one of the purest Amer forms of American music, American-made, American-invented music. That would be rap. Uh, great. Thanks, Dyson, Dr. Dyson. But he can't help himself. He is a race hustler. This is the other part of his gig. So he hit you with a lot of words, a lot of verbiage there, but it, he wasn't really saying anything except Republicans are racist and any black person who runs as a Republican is racist simply by being, simply by virtue of being a Republican. So he doesn't understand the, how insulting that is. By the way, Winsome Sears has challenged Joy Reid to have her on her show and let me speak for myself. Now, do you think Joy's taking her up on that? I'll give you three guesses and the first three don't count. Um, but if they're, if they're positing that, that white Republicans are just making these black people into ventriloquists and that the problem is black people can't be heard and seen, well, what have they just done to, to Mrs. Sears? They have effectively silenced her voice. So instead of asking her to explain what she likes about the side of the political fence that she's representing and what, what she's standing up for and what is valuable to her, she doesn't count at all. As far as what, as I'm concerned, what Dr. Dyson and Joy Reid are doing is the same thing that they're accusing Republicans of doing. They're putting words in her mouth. They're, they're making her lips move and the words that are coming out are their words, not hers. Cause they didn't listen to a daggone thing that woman said. If they did, I don't see what fault you would find in it. Cause she talked about the American dream. She talked about prosperity. She talked about education. She talked about freedom. She didn't talk about right, but see education, freedom, prosperity. Those are buzzwords for white supremacies for idiots like joy and Eric. They're the problem. They're the problem. And the thing is, is that Joy could offer Mrs. Sears a spot on her show and talk directly to her. And instead, she chose to talk to somebody who just interpreted her words. Is that like how offensive is that? Here is this black woman who who she's available and she's propelled herself to one of the highest offices in the land, but because you guys have decided that the narrative and the only narrative is that Republicans all are racist, all of them, from top to bottom, there's nothing redeeming about Republican politics. You've already decided that. There's this, you, you eliminate the conversation from those of us on this side of the fence who are here for good reason, because we love black people, because we love black America not the opposite. They silenced, they put the words, in, they called her the ventriloquist dummy. They called that woman a dummy. The lieutenant governor of one of the 50 states of the most powerful nation on earth. They called that woman a dummy. 
Who's offensive, Joy? Which one of us is silencing voices? Why don't you hear what she has to say instead of assigning things to, to that, that she never said? Not as far as I know, and definitely not as far as you know, but th this is how it is. As soon as you stray from that, uh, that acceptable path, right? That it, you've got this very narrow path as a left-wing black uh, politician or pundit. This I found out very early on when I was still a Democrat and a liberal. You've got this very narrow path to go down. And if you take one step off, you are canceled. You're gone. You're toast. Or you're just a dummy like the lieutenant governor of Virginia. And I'll tell you what, that's cultish behavior. Because a cult is not defined by what happens to you when you join it. A cult is defined by what happens to you when you leave. We're going to continue this discussion, but we're going to take a break right now. Don't go anywhere. I've got a lot more to say. That means you've got more to hear. I'm Kira Davis, and I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Kira Davis, host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis and editor-at-large for redstate.com. And I am so pleased to be filling in for my good friend and colleague, Tony Katz. And we were talking about Winsome Sears and black-white supremacy <laughs> and all of this stuff that people like Joy Reid like to foist upon us when they don't get their way with our voices. They want to accuse Winsome Sears, uh, the first black lieutenant governor of Virginia, of being uh, a ventriloquist dummy, and yet that's what they want her to be. They want to stick their hands in her back, right, and, and move her mouth so she'll say the things that they want her to say. But they have no interest in hearing her voice. This is just, it's, it's theater, everybody. This is what I wanted to tell you. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this on the other side of the break. We're going to go to a break in just a couple minutes. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this because I want to talk to you guys about identity politics. Uh, Tony and I have arguments over this. We don't agree on this subject, but I have a point of view that I want you guys to hear. I think it's important. But what I want to say uh, before we go to our break is that these are all theatrics and do not fall for it. I get a lot of, of emails from people going, Kira, what do I do when I talk about my values and someone calls me a racist or they call me a, a bigot or they say I'm prejudiced or I have white privilege and I'm not any of those things and I know you're not and you know you're not. But these people, they accuse you of these horrible things or they accuse you of, of carrying the burden of, of slavery all by yourself. People go, Kira, what do I do? What should I say? And I say ignore it because they're going to throw this nonsense at you anyway. Guess what? Winsome Sears, it didn't matter to Joy Reid that she's a black woman who made her own way through this country. It didn't make a difference, so it's not going to make a difference for you. You can choose to get upset by it or you can choose to do what the Loudoun County parents have been doing this whole time and keep pushing. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz and you're listening to Tony Katz Today.
Welcome back, everybody, to Tony Katz Today. I am your host, Kira Davis, and I'm filling in for Tony Katz. And you can find me, oh, <coughs> excuse me, a little cough. Not COVID, everybody. Isn't it so sad that we have to, like, qualify everything these days? <laughs> we have to qualify everything. I was, I was, uh, I saw a, a tweet from Jake Tapper from CNN the other day, and it was a cute tweet. It was about, they had their office Halloween party, and so he tweeted out a picture of them. Of course, everyone's CNN headquarters, I'm imagining at New York, in New York, is where they were. And people are maskless, but obviously people have masks in their hands or whatever. Obviously, they were enjoying a party together. And I do believe that New York City has vax mandates. So if they're at the office, they're all man they're all vac vaccinated. And he had to put this entire qualifier in front of the tweet, like, or after the tweet, you know, he was like, oh, we had this really cute office party. And here's the, co the costumes that so-and-so wore. But also, we're also, we only took our masks off for the picture and we're all vaccinated. Like, we're just obsessed with this now. I saw a, a, another tweet from Mindy Kaling, who is a writer, a, a comedic actress, and she used to be on The Office. All, uh, many of you will know her. And she posted a very innocuous tweet about a writer's retreat that she was on. Now, M Mindy has, has, been one of those few people in Hollywood who has put her money where her mouth is. And as part of the Me Too movement, she has said, okay, I'm going to use my power to empower other women. So she's hired all women writers for this project that she's working on, right? A lot of these other women have been hypocrites, but she's, she's put her money right where her mouth is. So she took them all on a nice little retreat and they did a writer's retreat pre pre preparing for this project. And she tweets out, here I am with my group of ladies and we're, we're writing. And I guess one person said something to her. So then she had to go back and fix it and say, oh, well, we're all vaccinated and we all had testing before we came to the retreat. And, and so, and we all wear masks when we're not actively eating or drinking. It was like, she had to do all these qualifiers. It's so insane. <laughs> like nobody should care. It's so sad if the people in that room feel safe with each other then mind your own business america that's a thing that you can do you can mind your own business well no kira it's not my, it's my business when you go out infecting the whole world and you get me sick if you're vaccinated you don't really need to worry about it do you well kira vaccinations aren't cures they'll just stop COVID from being as bad okay great then maybe we shouldn't be mandating vaccinations if they don't really work and maybe we should just be letting people decide if that's the extra layer of protection that they want well Kira you can't decide for me if if I'm gonna live or die if you give me COVID fine stay in the house that's a thing that you can do too right you want me to stay in the house I mean I'm vaccinated I talk like I'm on I'm not vaccinated <laughs> you would think I'm unvaccinated the way I talk I feel very strongly about this issue but you want people like me or of my mindset to stay home forever and isolate because you don't think it's fair that I'm out. No, I don't think it's fair that you're out. If you're so scared, you stay home. That is a thing you can do, America. You can mind your own business. Sidebar, that's a famous Davis sidebar. If you go and listen to my podcast, Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis, you will hear many of those. I always go on, on tangents and rants and that's how my mind works. It's just a million little paths to go off of every single day. Um, 
But I wanted to keep talking about this Winsome Sears thing because I the, the point is is that Democrats play identity politics and Republicans claim that we don't like identity politics, but that's not true. And I think part of what makes us uncomfortable with digging into identity politics is we don't want to be like that, right? We don't want to be those people who see race first. But I don't think we should see race first, but I don't think we should ignore race because people who say that race doesn't matter are people who don't have to live lives attached to race, you know? We're, my husband and I, traditionally, we, we've lived in an all-black community, but when we leave that community, Gary, Indiana is where we started our family together, and that's where he was born and raised, and that's a largely black community. And I, may, I maybe knew like two people, white people, that lived in Gary. And uh, like my kids didn't know any white people that lived in Gary, except when their grandmother, my mother, came to visit, and that was it. And uh, but when we moved, we typically were only 13% of the population. So if black people move outside of their communities, you know, you're always going to be a minority. We're only 13% of the population. And we have had to navigate as a black family. There are people who notice that we're black, right? Good or for good reasons or for bad reasons, you know, wherever we go, we're a family that stands out. I can remember going to church and my pastor stopping me one day and going, Kira, how do you think we can get more black families into our church? He was asking me about diversification. Of course, if you're curious, my answer was you preach the gospel and that's that. You know, whoever comes to hear, that's who comes to hear. But, uh, but we do have to deal with the world with with this through the lens of race that it it shouldn't be that way but that is the way it is so i i think it's naive to say that we shouldn't consider race or that it, that it's not a, a real consideration it's not something we should worship it's not an idol and it's not something that should be making our decisions for us but it is something that we should identify. And I think we're lying to ourselves when we say that we don't engage in identity politics because what have we been doing all week with Winsome Sears? There, has been a, there have been a lot of conservative pundits who rightfully so, by the way, I'm not condemning this, I'm excited about this, who have held up Winsome Sears. And this is kind of what Michael Eric Dyson was saying in his clip, although, uh, he was being a jerk about it but at the end of his clip what he was saying is you know these people want to hold up the, these people these folks as tokens and they want to say see we're not racist and a lot of us do that right see look we're not racist look at this woman that we elected a lot of us do that because it, it does speak to the fact that it's a bigger tent than the democrats would have us believe so there's truth in that and i don't think there's anything wrong with doing that but then I don't want us to pretend that we don't engage in identity politics. And in fact, I think we should start thinking about it as we move forward. Not making it a, a, a leg of the stool, not making it a platform, but realizing that if we want to speak to these voters that the Democrats are clearly leaving behind, and you guys, this week, we saw the Democrats basically abandon the black vote. To my mind, that's what they did. When you abandon the education vote, when you abandon the voice of the parents, you have abandoned the black vote. There was a, a district in Virginia, uh, I think it was 52nd, but I could be wrong. Uh, I, I'm not gonna look it up right now. That Youngkin flipped from, from blue to red and that district is almost exclusively black. So I think the thing that the Democrats don't realize 
or are too ignorant to realize or are too racist to realize is that black people have all kinds of different concerns, you know, and they want to be heard. They don't want you to trot into their neighborhoods and their churches every four years and tell us how if we don't vote for Republicans, we're going to go back to, you know, we're going to roll civil rights back 150 years and then walk away and don't give any us anything for it. At least the Republican candidate is saying, hey, do you want some choice in your schools? I'm going to fight for you for that. Hey, are you saying that you really are uncomfortable with transgender bathroom laws, issues, transgender cu school curriculum, blah, 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 whatever it is that's going on in your district? You're uncomfortable with that as conservative black parents? District 75, my producer just, <laughs> the producer of my podcast, just listen to yourself. Darvio just texted me. It is District 75. Thank you, Darvio. Uh, he's always got my back. And, uh, but you, you, uh, where was I? See, I, I lost my place. The point is, is that you're, the Democrats are not listening to what black people want. They're not. And this is the opportunity is right for the GOP to jump in there and get these votes. And I think one of the biggest ways to do that is through education. Cause I'll tell you what. I, w I came to this, I'm, I'm originally Canadian. I was born and raised in Canada. My dad's an American and I, I moved here for good at 18 and made my way to citizenship. And I'm a proud American. I love this. I'm a proud black American. I love this country. And, uh, but I came here as a Democrat socialist. You know, as a Canadian, you're kind of a default socialist. And as a black person, you're kind of a default Democrat. So I was a Democrat socialist, voted Democrat, was very uh, committed to the liberal line. You know the issue that made me a conservative? school choice because when i was running an after school program in gary indiana and i had grandparents it was mostly grandparents that i had who were raising their grandchildren when i had those people come to me and beg me for help how do i get my kid into this new charter school do you have any connections do you have any networks how do i get my kid out of this public school there was nobody not one single person do you understand me? Not one single person in, that I spoke to in Gary, Indiana, who wanted to stay in the public school. Not a daggone person. Every person who, who was given the option to leave public school in Gary, Indiana, did so. The only people that were there were people who were trapped there. And that's when I realized we're doing this wrong. This doesn't work. Every election cycle, Democrats come around here and they tell us, you need to vote for, for us. Teachers Union tells us, you need to vote Democrats so we can save our public schools. Save what? These schools are killing our children, in some cases quite literally. That was when I decided these people do not have the, my best interests in mind. They do not have the best interests of my community in mind. School choice is the issue that will change the minds of black voters across the country because it goes beyond race. But that doesn't mean that you don't pinpoint those concerns based on race as well. Because they do, they, it all folds into one. And the school choices you can solve our critical race theory issue. We're gonna talk about this next hour with a, with a great guest and a friend of mine, Charles Love, about critical race theory and, and what's going on with that and what's coming next in the battle. But we can solve that problem with school choice, right? Because guess what? If these 
and frankly, to my mind, it's mostly wealthy liberal white folks that are pushing this mess because they feel guilty. And white guilt is a hell of a drug. <laughs> it's mostly, I believe, liberal white people with some ventriloquist dummies like Kendi <laughs> and Robin D'Angelo and Joy Reid pushing this agenda. Most people don't want this. But if you do want critical race theory, great. If the, if the money follows the student rather than funding the system, if the money goes with your kid and you want a school that's going to teach equity and, and racial justice and focus on issues of racial justice and focus on critical race theory and focus on all of those things, then you can take your child out of the school that's not teaching that and put that child into the school that is. And then you don't have to deal with those dirty, disgusting, unwashed masses who, who, for some strange reason, just want their kids to learn math and reading and writing and storytelling. Oh, how crazy is that? School choice could, now of course the left doesn't want school choice because that's not what they want. They don't want you to go your way and, and their people to go their way. They think that they own your kids. They think that they have a right to, to your children and they want to indoctrinate your children and the children are the power. That's why here in California, there aren't vaccine mandates for adults in some, uh, in, in some government positions, although there are plenty of exemptions going around, yes. But for the students, no. Why? Because they can control parents through their kids. And it's the same thing with CRT and, and school choice. You, if you can control the education of children, you can control the parents because you can't control grown adults who can think for themselves but you can control kids who can't. So they don't want to let that go, of course, but that would be the logical answer to this. Let the funding follow the student. This is a winning issue in black communities, but we need to recognize that it is a winning issue in black communities. And it's a winning issue in Hispanic communities as well. And I don't have any other research as to other communities like the Asian community or even the white community uh, but I, I've worked in school choice long enough to know that it is overwhelmingly supported in the black and Hispanic communities. We've got a big, huge uh, school choice battle coming up here in California. A lot of people say it can't be done. <laughs> There's already shenanigans that happen in here, folks. The ballot language is already being perverted, but I hope that this might actually go against them. But it's a school choice initiative, but the Democrats have managed to twist the language on the ballot initiative so that it says it will allow public funds to fund religious schooling, right? I'm hoping that backfires on them because I think there are plenty of voting parents in California who would be happy to fund religious schooling. I mean, I think about the, the amount of Hispanic parents in, in this state which rival everybody else, uh, I think, yeah, a lot of them would prefer to send their kids to a Catholic school if they could. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll backfire on them, but this is an issue to pay attention to, people. Identity politics, can we can wield it to our advantage if we're careful about it and we know how to use it right. I've got to take another break. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz today.
Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I am Kira Davis, your host, and I am filling in for Tony Katz. I am the uh, editor-at-large for RedState.com and the host of Just Listen to Yourself podcast. And we've been talking about identity politics, and I know we're we're quick coming on our bottom of the hour break, but I just want to wrap up this thought because I don't want to scare anybody because I know I talk about this stuff and conservatives get a little worried that I'm I'm asking us to, to play with the with the race cards. No, what I'm asking us is to really go get those voters that the Democrats have left behind. Those voters are ripe, but they need to hear that you understand their unique struggles and that you're not going to dismiss those complaints or struggles as, as sort of grievances, but you're going to hear them out. That's what the Democrats are saying right now. That's what that clip I played of Joy Reid, that's really what she was saying. I don't want to hear what you're saying. I don't want to hear your concerns. I don't want to hear that you're feeling upset or that you have problems with the education system. I want you to get in line, be a part of our cult. If you don't get in line, then you don't count. Those people are out there in the wilderness, folks. They're wandering around and they're looking for guidance. Let's go pick them up. Let's go get them. And you know how we'll get them? School choice. Because every parent wants quality education for their child. And the public school system in America is failing them greatly. So let's seize this opportunity. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz. And you're listening to Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, coming to you live from Southern California. It's sunny, but a little bit cool today. And I am so thrilled to be filling in for my good friend, Tony. Of course, I'm the editor at large for redstate.com and the host of the Just Listen to Yourself podcast, as well as the Hallmark podcast, A Very Merry Podcast. So there are a lot of places you can go to find my voice, but I'm so glad that you're here with me today. We've been talking about a lot of controversial issues today, actually. And uh, and I want to talk about one issue coming up that that is certainly very controversial, and that's the critical race theory issue. I get asked about it a lot, and that's natural because being black and conservative, people want to know my position on, on this, and people are interested in what that means for me and my family. Of course, I'll tell you up front, like, I'm completely opposed to CRT. In fact, CRT is one of the things that really got me fired up to say this year, okay, here and no further when it comes to education. Like, Absolutely not. So my good friend Charles Love is going to be on in the next half hour to talk to me about what's next on the critical race theory front and what it really is and, and what it really means. Because we're having arguments now, of course, over what critical race theory really is, which to my mind is a victory. Because in the beginning of this battle, we were being told that there was no such thing as critical race theory. <laughs> So, of course, there is, and now the left is having to change or shift that narrative to, well, it's not really being taught in schools. But, of course, we know it is because parents aren't dumb. Parents are the ones that are seeing the lessons that come home. Anyways, I'll save that for, for when Charles pops in because he's got a great new book coming out called Race Crazy, and he's been uh, one of the people who is very much involved in the uh, uh, 1776 Project was a, which was founded to kind of counteract the 1619 project. And uh, he's he's a great guy. I love him. 
But I want to talk right now about inflation and the economy because here's what's happening. I think this goes with what I was saying in the previous segment about identity politics and about how we're going to need to change our perspective to go and pick up those voters that are kind of floating around in no man's land right now. We are, I don't think we, we need to make no adjustments to our values or our core values or what we believe. Absolutely not. We can sell what we believe because what we believe works. I believe that for sure. So I'm not asking anybody to, to bend on that. But I am asking people to maybe step outside of your comfort zone. And maybe sometimes if you're not comfortable talking about things in terms of race, um, you know, maybe you you should be okay with it. We seem quite comfortable talking about race when it's a black Republican, right? Or a uh, Hispanic Republican. Then we're all for talking about race, right? So it's fine. It's fine to, to sort of hone in on that concern of certain voters or people and, and go, go into the black communities and explain to them why school choice is the black choice is the choice for black parents and black communities. Explain to them why voting Republican, you know, could help to put more money in their pockets or to uh, give them more opportunity to release themselves from government regulations so that they can open that business they want, whatever. You gotta speak to people where they're at. This is what I'm saying. And here's one of the issues that's really gonna, that really will speak to people and is speaking to people. And the Democrats, another issue like CRT that they're denying is happening, and that's inflation. They cannot, for the life of them, admit that inflation is, is killing this country right now and killing middle-class families. And if you do the grocery shopping in your house, then you've seen it go up. It, it's, it's, it's unavoidable. It's insane that any that anyone would deny that inflation is really happening, and yet we see so many left-wing pundits doing just that. They refuse to acknowledge it. Some of them are lying, absolutely, but some of them live in their bubbles, and they don't do their own shopping, and they make $20,000 a week or you know, through their various projects and their TV projects, or they live alone. Right, and they get a subscription like a box service to bring them their meals. They, my point is, is that they're not in touch with real life. They don't really know how the rest of America is living. They don't know what they. They genuinely don't see inflation because their lives have not changed. And that's been the whole battle in this country, hasn't it, for the last two years or so? It's been the haves versus the have-nots. The people who got to keep their jobs. The teachers who got to stay home and still get paid. The government employees that got to stay home and still get paid. The political pundits who got to, to got who got to move their studios to their spare bedroom, and still get paid. Well, they're all for locking us down forever for COVID. They're all for forcing vaccination mandates. They're all for to them. It's no big deal. Why can't everybody get on board? Because their lives haven't changed, and they're all narcissists. And nothing happens unless it's hap it happens to them. We're dealing with a bunch of narcissists. But here's the thing. On the real level, in real America, we're feeling the pinch. We're having to pay more for our gas, more for our basic grocery items, and it's cutting into our already stretched budgets. And Joe Biden said he was going to fix all that. And instead, he's made it worse. Everything he's done has made it worse. Case in point, the story that CNN ran yesterday, which took up all of my morning yesterday because 
there were so many people who were wrong on Twitter, you guys. I had to I had to tell them that they were wrong. I mean, I couldn't believe that people were just being wrong all over the place. So obviously I had to spend my morning correcting people. But they CNN ran this human interest piece on this family in Texas who uh, were talking about uh, inflation and how it's affecting their family. And they said, I'm going to read to you a, a transcript from, from uh, a report. The family in the video lives in Fort Worth, Texas. They have nine kids, two of their own, six adopted, one foster. Uh, the fact that they have opened their home and hearts to seven kids above and beyond their biological children could make them heroes in some people's books. These are folks that we should be lionizing. Uh, but this is a key sentence from the vi from the video. A gallon of milk was a dollar ninety nine. Now it's two seventy nine. When you buy twelve gallons a week, times four weeks, that's a lot of money. Well, Twitter lit up with the with the amount of milk that the family was drinking, and it showed me two things. A, a lot of y'all don't do your own grocery shopping. You don't know how much gro groceries cost. And B, there's a huge disconnect between how people are living on the coast where you, people ha tend to have fewer kids and live in your coastal bubbles. I, I use the word coastal bubble and a lot of people were not impressed by that. Uh, but it's an attitude, not necessarily a location. But they have limited families and they don't live in the rest of America where people have big families. And I mean, this family has 11 people in it, nine kids. And instead of talking about, oh, great, like, hey, they've adopted, they've adopted most of their children. Most of their children are fosters or adopted. I mean, that's great, right? Right? No. They drink 12 gallons of milk. Well, it turned into a flame war about how much milk you should be drinking in a week. And there are, I realized that there are a lot of people, like, there were so many people who are like, oh, I've never, I'm from the Midwest. Well, Kira, you said Cosa Bubble. I'm from the Midwest, and I've never drank that much milk. Or my family, I came from a family of six, and we never, we didn't even get, okay, fine, you didn't, fine. Why do you think that that applies to everybody? <laughs> to my mind, I grew up in a farming community, and then when I went to school, I actually went to school in the United States, in Iowa, which was another farming community. I knew a lot of people who grew up in the country, and I knew a lot of people who just drank a lot of milk. And they only get to the grocery store or Sam's Club once a week or once every other week, and so they got to stock up. So they have extra freezers and extra fridges, and they buy a lot of extra stuff and some of those families i had one friend whose little brother used to drink a gallon of milk after sports practice every day i swear i saw it with my own eyes this child this 14 year old child walked in the house after basketball practice one day chugged a gallon of milk he didn't even need the cup because he drank the whole thing first of all how do you quench your thirst second of all ugh. I'm lactose intolerant, so the thought gives me cramps. This whole conversation gave me cramps yesterday. <laughs> but, by the way, sidebar, that kid went on to be drafted into the NFL. I don't know if you know this player or not, but it was Kyle Vandenbosch. From the, he was drafted to the Detroit Lions. He doesn't play anymore. I think he had a knee injury. And uh, But, yeah, his sister was my roommate. And, <laughs> I mean, he, I swear, I saw that. So, 
it, it it spoke to me about the disconnect we have. We feel like if, but if our life isn't, if we don't see this in our life, then it can't be true about somebody else's life. Like that was the argument that astonished me. And I saw so many conservatives making it like, oh my gosh, 12 gallons of milk for, that's a lot of milk. Well, some families drink 12 gallons of milk in a week. I don't. I, our family barely drinks a half gallon of lactose-free milk in two weeks. You know, but I don't assume that that's how every other family lives. And that's my point. So we're disconnected in that respect. But then there's this huge disconnection from with the people who are now talking about the milk. Left wing Twitter kept talking about the milk, the price of milk. You're not shopping at the right places or, oh, this family, they, they seemed to have a big house. How dare they complain about the price of milk? Well, you know, they have 11 kids. So they have a big house for the 11 kids just because you have a big house doesn't mean that you're not stretched to the limit with your with your budget it's just this whole everybody wanted to talk, talk about the price of milk or excuse me about how much milk the family drank how much milk they're entitled to how much they should be able to buy at the store it's not about the milk people I wrote an article on redstate.com today. You can go find it. Just head on over there to redstate.com. It's called, it's not about the milk. It's not about the milk, folks. It's about inflation. The left wing is so committed to this narrative that Joe Biden is actually saving America that they have to make liars out of parents who are struggling to buy milk for their children. Instead of looking at that very fair human interest story, by the way, CNN did not put the political spin on this. It was the commenters afterwards. CNN was just running a story about a regular average American family who's having trouble making ends meet because of inflation, because of very real inflation. And the left had to make liars out of that family. Why? Because if they don't make that family of 11, which has nine kids, seven of which are adopted or foster kids, if they don't make that family greedy liars, then they have to make the president of the United States the greedy liar. One of them's lying. It's either that family or it's Joe Biden who came in and promised us the world if we just get rid of Donald Trump and has failed in every conceivable way possible since the second he took office. They're so committed. What did I tell y'all back uh, maybe in hour one of the show? What's a cult? A cult is not defined by what happens to you when you join it. A cult is defined by what happens to you when you leave. And if you're going to stop towing this liberal line, then you're going to be canceled. You're going to be called out your name. You're going to be called all kinds of things. You're going to be one of those rare people in the United States, well, not rare, but too rare, really, we could use more. You're going to be one of those great families who reaches out to other children in need and brings them alongside you and nurtures them and raises them. You're going to be one of those people who uh, are just the dregs of society because you didn't tow the cult line. It doesn't matter what else good you're doing in your life. You must be a greedy liar if you can't find milk under $2. And there are ways to economize and, and find cheaper milk. And there are a lot of people giving tips for cheaper milk and telling you to shop around. The milk is not the point, everybody. It's not about how much liquid Americans drink every week. 
It's if you buy 10 gallons of milk or 100 gallons of milk a week, your milk is more expensive. And that might mean nothing to the Jake Tappers of the world. And it probably means nothing to the Joy Reeds of the world. And it definitely means nothing to the Joy Joe Bidens of the world. When's the last time you think if ever Joe Biden has been to the grocery store? Of course they don't know. Of course Jen Psaki can stand up there in those press conferences and, and be absolutely condescending to the average American who's complaining about the price of gas. She doesn't gas up her car. She doesn't go to the grocery store. Those people have other people who do that for them. They don't live our lives. They're complete narcissists. Stop voting for these people. They don't live our lives. So it, it is not, a, it is the fact that everything that you need to keep your life running smoothly is either disappearing from the shelves or becoming terribly expensive or both. And if you're barely making it week to week, to Joe Biden or Jen Psaki or any talking head at MSNBC, it might seem like nothing to add an extra $700 a year to your expenses. But for a family who is counting pennies, and they are out here, believe me, especially in blue states like California and New Jersey and New York, where things are really becoming unaffordable, and now we lost that state deduction. For those of us in, in, in states like this, yeah. It, even the middle class folks, even people like me and my husband, it can come down to pennies every week, the difference between staying afloat and depending on your credit cards. It matters. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying, folks. These voters are ready to be picked off. And they don't want to be lifelong Republicans, right? And for a lot of people, it's just, it's a bridge too far to call themselves a conservative. Because, and I don't blame them. Because look at all the grief you get in mainstream media just by coming out as even close to a conservative. You don't have to say the word, but if you just happen to lean right, if you happen to have stepped outside of the cult boundaries, then you no longer, then you are, we're all conservatives now, I guess is what I'm saying, folks. If you step outside the cult boundaries of the Democrat Party, we're all conservatives now. These voters are ripe to be picked off. They are not happy. They are suffering. And at the end of the day, Americans vote with their wallets. If Republicans play this right, we can go get the voters that are just hanging out there looking for a reason to vote for something. Hey, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk to my good friend, Charles Love, and we're going to address this uh, critical race theory thing and what's going on with that and where we go from here. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and you are listening to Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, editor-at-large for redstate.com. And we've been talking about the price of milk. Well, it's not about the milk, people. It is about inflation. And uh, to prove my point, I just saw this tweet from um, RNC Research, but it's about Joe Scarborough on MSNBC. And he was interviewing a Democrat politician, not sure which one. Um, and uh, he says... 
I haven't heard a Democrat this year talk about how groceries cost more, how gas at the pump is costing more, the supply chain is screwed up, inflation is high. Kamala was warning us when she said that we should buy our Christmas gifts early, wasn't she? Because she already knew, folks. That's right. She wasn't allowed to say it out loud, but she already knew. We made fun of her for it. We thought she was being flighty, but no, she was being sneaky. She was saying something that the Biden administration didn't want her to say. Democrats are not addressing these issues that are hitting people right in their pocket. You cannot care about, quote, social justice if you can't keep milk on the table. That's the issue. Folks, those voters are out there and they are ripe for the picking. Let's go get them. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz and you are listening to Tony Katz today. Welcome back to the Tony Katz show. Excuse me, Tony Katz today. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz and I am the editor at large for redstate.com and the host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis. And I want to take just a moment to talk up my next guest because I'm really excited to have him on with me. My next guest is Charles Love. He's the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence, a nonprofit whose mission is to empower disadvantaged students to reach their full potential. He's the host of the Charles Love Show on the AM560, The Answer, and the co-host of the Cut the Bull podcast, which I've been a guest on and have had a great time. Charles is a scholar at 1776 Unites, and he also has a book coming out next week. It's scheduled for release on November 9th, 2021. It's a book called Race Crazy. Make sure you go order this as soon as you're done listening to Charles because you're going to want to get it as soon as you hear this man speak. He's amazing. He is a great scholar and he's a good friend of mine. Charles, welcome to Tony Katz today. Of all the media, you are definitely by far the greatest introduction I ever get. Thank you so much. Good to be here. You're welcome, Charles. I'm so happy to have you here. And I'm really excited to read your book. And um, I've got a little preview of it. But I, of course, I love to have like a paperback. So I, I'm really excited for you. But one of the things that I really respect about you, Charles, is that you're able to kind of and well, and this is the name of your podcast, Cut the Bull, you're able to kind of cut through a lot of the bull that we hear in the media. And you and I as black parents and, and political activists, sometimes we get a lot of BS thrown at us. And it can be intimidating, but you're able to cut through it because your goal is parents, your goal is students, your goal is education. And I have spent the last hour on this show, Charles, talking about how I do think that there is some value to recognizing identity politics and going and kind of plucking those black voters that the Democrats have just left out to dry. Like just, they've just let them like have left them in the wilderness with nothing because they just assume you're going to get these votes every four years. And there's people who are frustrated. They're ripe to go uh, get and bring over, but we need to, to be able to speak to the issues that matter to them. And one of the biggest issues in the black community, we don't get credit for it on the left or the right, but the fact is one of the biggest issues is education, right? Without a doubt. I mean, it's the thing that they care about. We've been saying for years that it's the key to success. Whatever racism exists, whatever income inequalities exist, 
the key to overcoming all that is education. And now we're playing with education. Now we're putting the kids in a situation where we're not focusing on academics. So obviously it's going to be harder for them to achieve because we're not focusing on the things that matter. You know, um, obviously I'm sure you talk about it. Others have been talking about the debate around CRT and what's happening in school and who the domestic terrorists and white nationalists are. And I just, again, cut through the stuff like you say and just say, it's this simple. You have kids who are struggling. We all know this. We write about it all the time. Some on the left say it's because of racism. Those on the right saying because the, the tools aren't in place. For whatever reason, we have kids who are struggling. But instead of getting them up to a grade level in reading and writing, we want to focus on separating people by race. We want to focus on slavery. We want to focus on all these other things. And the average black parent, whether they say it politically or not, will say, just teach my kids what they need to compete with everyone else. And they're missing the boat on this. And I'm surprised that, that, that no one's really understanding, you know, why this is so important and how to address it in a way that people will be excited about it. Oh, well, I know me and you have been screaming about it for years. I mean, I have been screaming at the top of my lungs as a conservative for years that this is the issue that will swing the vote. Absolutely, because I, I've seen it. I think there are a lot of, I, unfortunately, I do think that there are is a certain por- portion of conservatives that think that black communities don't care about education. But we do. We're just trapped in these failing systems. And you said that. Um, something that I think really resonates. I, I think it's an, an amazing point I haven't thought about, but like, of course, black students are failing if these sort of social justice ideas are becoming so pervasive in schools that they're taking the place of of the lessons that we need to be <laughs> teaching, reading, writing, arithmetic. Like, these are the things that you need to succeed. It, it doesn't matter what color you are. You you have to have you have to be able to read to get a. Uh, to get a job, especially if you want to get into a high paying job. When I was tutoring in Gary, Indiana, when I was running the after school program, I had a I had a high schooler in there, a young man who was a sophomore in high school who could not read. It took me a couple weeks to figure out that he couldn't read and he was making it through school somehow. Basically, he was just being promoted through his failure, uh, but he could not read. Now, what does he need? Does he need a class in uh, microaggressions or does he need a class in reading? You know, so reading, reading. Yeah, right. Bringing yeah. And, and I think that's the, the, the biggest problem that we have here. There's a finite amount of time and the school can only use it in, in whatever way they decide to use it. And they get unfortunately get to dictate what the curriculum is going to be. And so that's what much of my book argues. I don't really argue. I do what everybody else does and say, I disagree with this, and let me tell you why. Of course, I put some of my opinion in. But the larger part of the book is for me say to say, give them the argument. Let's assume you're right. Racists are hiding and lurking around every corner. The, the white man is out to get black kids. So given that, are the things that you are doing preparing them to overcome that and to learn? And the simple answer is no. There's nothing that anyone on the hard left I'm not talking about Democrats or some political thing, but the, the hard, everything is about racist uh, people. Nothing that they're saying is going to solve any of the problems. If, if that kid is in 11th grade and can't read, he's three, three grades behind in his reading um, abilities, teaching him that there was slavery, which he already knew, is not going to help him, right? It's not going to do anything. Worse, what the 1619 Project does, it says that everything that we, every problem we face today is linked to that stuff. And that's not only wrong, it's dangerous because in a, in a sense, you're like, what's the point? 
if it's all linked to that and I can't get around it, we can't change that. So what is the point? And they don't understand that some people would just throw their hands up and say, I'm not going to I'm not going to try. It's bad. You just you just really encapsulated my experience of turning into conservative. I can remember sitting with a group of kids one day, and I'm actually writing a book as well that will come out next uh, fall, right before the election cycle. And I, I tell this story in my book, sitting around with my kids in Gary, Indiana one day and telling my kids, I'm going on uh, on vacation with my husband. We're going to Jamaica. And one of my kids going, why would you go to Jamaica? That's where white people go to vacation. And I was like, what, <laughs> what kind of a thing is that to say? And she was like, well, I don't know why you would want to be around white people. That's where white people are going to be. And I, it just clicked for me. I was like, wow, I've been telling this kid for so long that every white person in the world is against them and the whole world is against them. And they really have no chance because racism rules everything. And yet at the same time, I'm telling this kid, if you work hard enough, you can get out of the hood and make good. Like, what am I doing to this kid? I'm, I'm giving this kid a mixed message. I, uh, to this day, it's something that sits with me and I remember. Those mixed messages are hurting us, not helping us. Without a doubt. And, and that, I think that's the worst part, really. Whatever measure you want to say racism is a problem, the biggest problem are the successful blacks who are on the left who are saying, you know, we've heard it. LeBron said they're hunting us, you know, people saying I'm afraid to go out of the house in my neighborhood because there are white people there. But logical people just have to sit back and think, huh, you're a celebrity. You have money. You can live wherever you want. You're afraid to go out the house in your white neighborhood. Well, why are you in a white neighborhood? Ding, ding, ding. So what it is is they don't realize they're doing it. I understand they're not doing it intentionally, but it's you got to paint a picture the way they paint a picture. So I'm an 18-year-old kid in a poor neighborhood, single-family home. I'm trying to do the right thing, stay away from the gang. I got all these pressures. But my one thing that's keeping me going is looking at Beyonce and LeBron and Jay-Z and all these people. Oprah, they made it. So I know regardless of how bad racism is, there's a shot for me. But now they're on TV and on the radio saying, well, this country's racist. DNA, if the DNA is slavery and racist, you can't change it. All whites are racist, you can't change it. They're out to get us. I'm being hunted. So, of course, that 18-year-old is going to say, well, why even try? If LeBron says he's being hunted, if Oprah says whiteness is much greater than I am, why would I even try? And that's what we're doing to the kids. Whether it's intentional or not doesn't matter. It's the truth, and we need to turn that around. Let's talk CRT for just a quick minute here because the the argument around CRT has shifted very interestingly from uh, there. CRT is something that you guys made up on the right. It doesn't really exist. It's just a legal theory, you know, to, uh, okay, CRT exists, but it's just about history. And you guys hate teaching black history in school to um, CRT is not it does exist, but is not being taught in the schools. And of course, I know that it is, but it doesn't necessarily come to you packaged in a in a curriculum. I want to play a clip for you, Charles, and I'd love for you. You've probably heard this uh, this clip from an Indiana administrator who said, "Yeah, CRT's already reached your classroom." Something me and you already know, but a lot of people might not know. So, Ari, if you would cue that up, listen to this, and I'll have you respond, Charles. I'm the science coach and admin in the largest public school district in Indiana. I'm in dozens of classrooms a week, so I see exactly what we're teaching our students. When we tell you that schools aren't teaching critical race theory, that it's nowhere in our standards, that's misdirection. We don't have the quotes and theories as state standards per se. We do have critical race theory in how we teach. We tell our teachers to treat students differently based on color. We tell our students that every problem is a result of white men and that everything Western civilization built is racist. 
capitalism as a tool of white supremacy. Those are straight out of Kimberly Crenshaw's main points, verbatim in Critical Race Theory, the writings that formed the movement. This is in math, history, science, English, the arts, and it's not slowing down. If students of color have lower reading scores, it's because of inequity. Therefore, we take from the white students and give to the color students. That's Richard Delgado, straight out of CRT and Introduction. All teaching is political, with reality and facts taking the back seat. That's Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billings, who outlined how she saw critical race theory flushed out in public schools in 1995. When schools tell you that we aren't teaching critical race theory, it means one thing. Go away and look into our affairs no further. It isn't about transparency. It isn't about cultural relevance. It's race essentialism, painted to look like the district cares about students of color. We call it anti-racism, so you feel bad if you disagree with our segregationist pedagogy. It's taking advantage of kids' vulnerability and parents' inactivity to preen over social snake oil schemes designed to create division. Parents, when we tell you critical race theory isn't taught in our schools, we're lying. Keep looking. So what's your response to that, Charles? My short one is, I wish I could even do it better than him. That was brilliant. But well, well, he's totally right, and that's the argument that I make. You, you see me on Twitter, and I commonly say, stop arguing about CRT, allowing the, the argument and the debate to be about a definition, right? Are you teaching this is all I want to know? Because what they're saying is they're technically true because what they're, they're saying is we are not teaching from a book that says intro to CRT, therefore we're not teaching it. Okay, that may be true, but you're teaching everything that it believes, so you're teaching it. So that's the reason why my book focuses so much on the 1619 Project for three quick reasons. One, because no one can say we're not teaching it because they're bragging about it. It was in 4,500 schools six months before George Floyd died, and it blew up exponentially. So we know it's there, so we lose that argument. Two, in my book, it's worse than CRT because CRT at least just says blacks are being treated unfair because of endemic racism in the system, and we need to fix the system. Okay, whatever. 1619 Project says the country is built on anti-black racism. It's in the DNA. Last time I checked, you can't change DNA. And third, it's enough truth in it that will suck you in, but they leave out and, and lie through omission and leave out enough where you would look up, those kids will look up that stuff, see it's true, and ignore that it's taken out of context where you can say something silly like all whites are racist, a normative person will roll their eyes and say that's not true. But if I tell you that slavery was bad and Jim Crow was bad and redlining was bad, bad and it happened, well, it really did happen, right? So I look it up and but gosh, they're telling the truth, except they don't tell you all the other things that underlie it and all the positive. There's nothing positive in the project, and they're openly teaching this. No one's saying we're not teaching it. So we need to understand that whatever they're doing, it's like the gender thing, right? You see all these gender queer books and all this stuff in the books, and they'll say, we're not teaching kids about sex. You know, we're just making the books available with a wink and a nod and hope they'll pick it up. So, yeah, it's not in the curriculum. It's just in the library and sitting on every desk. Come on. Right. This is the thing. This is this gets under my skin. Like critical race theory is a theory. It's a theory. So it it, it doesn't come in. It's a philosophy. It's based in Marxism. It's rooted in Marxism and Marxism. It doesn't come in a book. I mean, there's some instruction books, but Marxism is a, is a point of view. It's a worldview. Critical race theory is a worldview. And when you have teachers who like we know for sure that there are teachers uh, across the country, I'm thinking of the Atlanta school district right now, who go for critical race theory training. They call it anti-racism training, but it's that anti-racism is critical race theory. That's exactly where it comes from. It's include. I mean, that's not a secret. They they get taught in that, and then they take those attitudes into the classroom. So no, you don't have a book 
right? That's for that's for critical race theory. But you have teachers who have been inoculated and trained in this, and that, and now they're indoctrinating kids in this. And this is what parents are pushing back against. And and so uh, it's really a disingenuous article, a, a disingenuous point of view to say, oh well, the, the, it's not there. No, it is there. It just doesn't come in the form of of a little book that you can pull out. And parents aren't idiots. They know what's being taught in their schools because their kids are coming home with the lessons. Charles, I've got to get going, but I want you to tell everybody about your book, where they can get it, and then where they can find more about you online. Well, they can find me on Twitter at cdouglaslove3 or find my website at thecharleslove.com. The book is coming out Tuesday, November 9th. They can pick it up everywhere, uh, IndieBound, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can pre-order it today on Amazon. And it's called Race Crazy, and it is about this thing, how we're so focused on race that we're not seeing the true problems, and it's dangerous. And I think that it will give you tools to speak to liberals about this that doesn't sound toxic or right-wing, and they will have a hard time uh, disagreeing with it. Well, I, I'm so excited for you. And, of course, I forgot to tell everybody that Charles is an Indiana boy. He's from Gary, Indiana, too. So uh, this guy knows how to keep it real. I'm really glad to talk to you today, Charles. Thanks for coming on. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we're going to go to a break right now. Don't go anywhere, though. We've got a little more talking to do before we wrap it up today. I'm your host, Kira Davis, filling in for Tony Katz. And, of course, you're listening to Tony Katz today. <laughs> 